Hi, my name is Bodhi Asamoto. I'm here with my editor, Reese Nagoka. Welcome back to the Green and Black. Today we'll be recapping Hawaii at Nevada. Let's get into it. All right, so, I mean, obviously it was a disappointing result. But, um, you know, let's just get your general thoughts on it, as always. Um, yeah, you know, they, they lost. And I'm, I think it was kind of different from their other losses because um, the other ones, it was like, you know, their slow starts kind of put them, you know, down by a lot entering the half. And they were actually like super strong. I, I don't think you can get a lot better, uh, better start than a one play, you know, 75 yard run. And then, but then they got shut out in the second half. So, you know, I think we talked about in the last episode, how six turnovers aren't going to happen for, from your defense all the time. And, you know, this week, I think Nevada forced about four or five Hawaii turnovers. Yeah. You know, as a Hawaii fan, it's obviously an embarrassing second half collapse, but I, I think while I am going to definitely probably rip into him this episode, I will say it was definitely a learning game and Brandon Schrager, he looked like a true freshman. I mean, what were, we, what were we to expect against a good Nevada team? I mean, it honestly surprised me that we came out to that lead early and that we kept it close to a three point game. But yeah, that second half was just, ugly and as ugly as it can get i mean i was listening to the game at work on saturday because i wasn't you know because i was at work i'm not gonna watch the game but um i actually had to turn it off after the third quarter because it just got depressing after a while yeah uh, i like how you had to emphasize how you weren't watching during your work which is you know i guess that's great but um yeah like you said you know he it was it was a tough game for i guess Braden shager and you know, it's a learning curve for him. I mean, this was his first significant game action on the road in front of a, a packed crowd. So, you know, I think as, you know, his collegiate career moves on, I think that's going to, you know, not be as much of a factor. I mean, let's move into something that's a little bit more contrary to, you know, always ugly start. Let's try to look for some bright spots in an otherwise ugly game. Yeah, like um, some of the better things that were on this offense. I think, well, first off, Day-Day Hunter had an out-of-world game seeing as most of his yardage was off, you know, those two long touchdowns he had in the first half. And I think we've seen that explosiveness all year. He had like that like that 50 to 60-yard run against Portland State earlier, or last month, actually. And then, but, you know, unfortunately, he did have that injury in, during the game. I think that was in the latter half of the first half or something. But yeah, so that's that's another in update we have to look out for before this week's game. You know, I, I think we pretty much had the same thing going for um, the good on offense. I mean, outside the passing game wasn't great. I think the only highlight you can put on is Day Hunter in the running game. I mean, he you see good things the home run hitter. He had that 75 yard and an 81 yard touchdown run. But I mean, if you look outside of that, I mean it it wasn't that great he had 18 yards on his six other carries and an adjusted yard for carry of three so i, I think you're gonna see probably Dedrick parson more in that like short yardage role you know get the chains moving but then you bring in data hunter for that home run hitting ability to get the touchdown um i mean another good thing i i really dogged on the passing game so far in this episode but i mean shager was distributing he passed to 11 different uh, receivers, which, I mean, for a true freshman, 
who just came in this semester to have that kind of chemistry with all those guys. It's promising to see. I, I think it's not bad. And one last thing I want to bring up, because I told you in the season preview, I was always going to highlight the tight ends. Kamala Borden had his first career reception. I, I think we got to highlight that story. I mean, he's a local kid. He played three years at left tackle at Iolani. Came to Hawaii. Uh, I mean, uh, committed to Hawaii. He converted to D lineman for the past couple of years. And now in his fourth year of the program, he's a tight end. And he just made his first catch on a crucial third down conversion. Yeah, you talked about, I guess, the tight ends. I mean, they haven't really so much have gotten a lot of production this year. I think they they only have about, what, like four reception, four or five receptions, a couple touchdowns. And I think Phillips had them both. Uh, Caleb Phillips had them both. And then, like, yeah, like you said, he's Kamuelo Borden is pretty versatile. I think he's also listed on the depth chart as a backup long snapper as well. So, again, it's it's a total – it's an interesting, um, you know, pretty versatile. Speaking of versatile players, I mean, we can't go through this podcast without mentioning Calvin Turner Jr. I mean, you know, it wasn't the explosive game where you see, but, I mean, he had six for 16 on the ground along with seven, which – I mean, it isn't a great stat line, but it, it's a rushing stat. And then receiving, he had uh, eight receptions on 10 targets and then 83 yards, which, I mean, again, is a pedestrian stat line. But just the fact that he's doing both at, like, this kind of level, I mean, it's at least something good on this relatively ugly day. Speaking of ugly days, now we'll move into a little bit more detail on Braden Shager and his four interceptions. Yeah, obviously the not so good, you know, four interceptions by the Hawaii true freshman. Um, looking, I guess looking back at those, I don't, I don't know if the first one was a bad read in, in my opinion. I think he just got hit on the release, but you know, the three after it, it didn't look that great. He kind of looked like he was locked in on those, and it was maybe I don't know if it was a bad read. I think the second one was a bad read, but the third and fourth, it just seemed like it was like a like a couple underthrows, but like I said, it's, it's a learning curve for him. So, you know, like hopefully this, you know, he'll gain more experience as, you know, his career goes on. So before I get into the main point of this, I just want to read off Brandon Shaker's stat line two for 39. Uh, I mean, 22 for 39, that would have been absolutely disgraceful if he was two for 39. So anyway, two, 22 for 39. 56% completion percentage, 205 yards, four picks, obviously. And then on the ground, I, I'm pretty sure this is his sack yards. What he says, it has, I think, four rushes for negative 41 yards. Th- those are his sacks, right? Okay, good. Just, just, I was like, that's a crazy stand line. And now to get into probably something people don't want to hear, I'm going to go pick by pick on his uh, interceptions. So the first pick, like we said, came with 55 seconds left. And I think it it was a really bad timing for that pick because right after that, Nevada marched down the field. Shager kind of got saved because they had a missed field goal and they didn't get any points off of that, but still. But I mean, I guess that one, you can't totally blame on him because he did get hit on his release, but my thing with that is you, you should have a better pocket presence and I'm no quarterback coach or any quarterback or anything like that. But I, I think 
as he go as he goes on in his career, he'll probably like feel out that pressure a little bit better than he will right now. Because I mean, right now he's younger than both of us. So I mean, you know what what can we really say? I mean, moving to the second pick. Oh God, that one was bad. It was the third play of the second half. Just killed it. Pocket was like not bad. He just threw it right to the Nevada guy. And then third pick. Wow, this is starting to get a little depressing. I, th- I think this is around when I started to turn the game off at work. So after Nevada leads the scoring drive, I-, I think he was trying to play a little bit of hero ball because, yeah, like you said, he was locking into receivers and he was throwing into some weird windows. So, I mean, he killed. They, they were in the red zone. I think they were at the 18-yard line when he threw that pick, and it killed a 14-play drive, which is just not what you want to see. Like, you want to at least get points off drives. Yeah, it was like he, I was just about to say, I mean, like that third interception, that was that was critical because, you know, they took it down to, I think, about the Nevada, you know, 18 or something. And it like you said, 14-play drive, that, that took up five minutes off the clock. And when you're down, I think at their point, it was like, I don't know what third, it was, I don't know how long it was, 34 to, not 34, maybe like 20 something to 17. It was still pretty close, that's why. So again, that's a, that's a crucial pick. And then moving into the fourth one, which I, I think to me was the worst one. But I mean, to be fair, it was a garbage time touchdown. You're just trying to do whatever with that. But he threw into triple coverage. Sure, he was pressured a little bit, but I mean, that, that's just a bad read. He's, I mean, you're not exactly throwing the Megatron out there. You can't be Matt Stafford. So, I mean, oh, it's just, it was an ugly day. It's probably a learning curve for Shager, and you just hope he gets better. He is, after all, a true freshman. Uh, a couple more stats I want to throw in there. 67% of their offensive yardage came in the first half. So you really see the drop-off. And then 70% of those um, yards all came on the ground game. So you can see it was a real emphasis on Day-Day Hunter, which, I mean, kind of makes sense. He had those two long touchdown runs. So that was probably about it. Uh, let's get into some things that defense did. Yeah, I know. I kind of saw what your your notes talked about. But, um, you know, I thought, you know, that, you know, that, Tanner talked about like that Ben don't break defense that Hawaii has. I thought it did its job in my opinion. I mean, it's just unfortunate circumstances that, you know, had them out long, a lot longer than they should have been. I think the turnovers on the other side of the ball gave Nevada, I think really good field position. And like, they, I think they only had, they only held them to about 14 points off turnovers off of, yeah, off the four, four or five Hawaii turnovers, but they, I think it's like more like 24 if you count the block punt and the muff, which we'll get into later on. But overall, I, I thought the defense did okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, I mean, we talked about it last time. I think their run defense, I mean, which has historically been the worst in the Mountain West, I, I thought it showed up at least, I think it showed up relatively well. I mean, Toa Tawa only had a long of 10, he had 84 yards on the day off of 21 attempts, which is a four-yard average. But, I mean, you know, four yards, you go four, 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 12. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a great, you know, total you saw him coming off of um, the game against Boise. He had a big game, two touchdowns. 
which is where you saw the um, which is where you saw the majority of his stat line in the red zone. And I mean, I, I think you saw a decent line. I mean, Carson Strong was sacked three times, and I mean that defensive line, it, it's not bad. Jonah Lulu, Peter Tonga, uh, Dewan Matthews. I mean, they're all getting it done up front. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. I think you've got about, what, four or five defensive linemen who had had tackles in the game. And, you know, like I said, I think this is something you want to talk about is that, like, that secondary of Hawaii was, you know, like, I guess the yardage doesn't – I guess the yardage shows it wasn't really a great game for them. I think they had about, what, you said 395 yards or something? Yeah, but um, like I said, I think – like I'm just going to reiterate it that, you know, I thought the defense – you know, they did that. They followed their philosophy of that bend, don't break. So, you know, I think it's just, again, unfortunate circumstances for them. I guess it's probably a good way uh, segue into their struggles. I mean, I feel like it's always been this. I, I, I feel like I keep saying this every single time, but it's always been this with the Hawaii defense. Their tackling isn't great because um, I watched the Tua Tawa touchdown. And I, I think there there were a couple of people that just like passed right off him. I think you you had to be able to at least stop his momentum on first contact and bring him down with that second and third. But yet they couldn't stop Toa, or at least they did their best to stop Toa Tao in the red zone. And yeah, that secondary, I, I have to assume it was probably them just being tired from all those interceptions. But I have an interesting stat line for you right here. So of Carson Strong's 395 pass yards, 209 came in the first half. That's 52%. And I think over 50%, you can't just blame that on Shager turning the ball over because he didn't turn the ball over until 55 seconds left in the first half. So I I think you saw some issues, which is – I mean, you saw the broadcast kind of mention it. I mean, I think Cortez Davis had a difficult time covering 6'6", Cole Turner, who plays that sort of hybrid tight end wide receiver role. Yeah, I mean, I you know, last year, I think he was on dubs last year, right? And you, this is something that you kept bringing up. Like, you only held him to think about, was it one catch, you said, right? And, you know, I think, again, you know, it's a, it's a bend, don't break defense. Like you talked about, I think you said 209 yards of passing for Carson Strong in the first half. But like, when I look at it, it was, you know, I think the longest pass he threw was about 28 yards. And yeah, I think Nevada utilized these like short screen plays in the first half. That's why. And, you know, Hawaii just kept giving them the yardage. And, but, you know, again, they made some pretty key stops. Like there was, I think in the first quarter, I don't know if it was Ta'ala or Wa'ulu, they made a stop on the goal line on a third and goal. So again, you know, they did, I think they did their job. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they did their job. You know who didn't do their job? The punt team. Oh, God. (laughs) They had a a blocked punt with about a minute 50 left. And I I like to just run this through before you get any comments in. So it's the tight end, again, Cole Turner, who we saw take over this game. Uh, I was watching the broadcast, so I was able to get stats, like, you know, instantly without having to worry about this. So apparently he broke through the A-gap. And so they were looking at the same block punt from the UCLA game. 
it's the same thing with the A-gap. The A-gap seems to be just very susceptible on the punts, and that's how it seems to be. Like, because I don't think that was entirely Shipley's fault. It's the punt team. It's the um, it's the punt line. I, I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but it's it's the line in front of the punt. It's just it's not working in that A gap. Yeah, yeah. You talked about. It. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many block punts there is for Hawaii this season already. I think it's about three or four, and you know, none in the last twelve seasons prior to this. So, you know, it's definitely an alarming stat for sure. I think. Um, yeah, like you said, that's probably something they're going to have to work on for at least the rest of the season. Like, I think that it's pretty crucial when you give up, you know, a punt, a short, I guess, blocked punt in, you know, your own territory. So, yeah. Okay, wait, I also want to bring up the muff because that, that was unfortunate on the punt return. Like, um, you know, I think it barely just clipped the jammer. I think it was Nelson, but... um. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was kind of the broadcast I saw was they were saying that was more on Turner, right? Because, you know, he he waved off the jam, he waved off his jammer at the last minute and probably not even the last minute, probably the last second, to be honest. And like, you know, he, he waved a fair catch and then he waved him off and he should have waved him off earlier because by the time he did, that ball was already hitting Nelson, I think. So, but like I, but, you know, again, I've heard that punt returner is a very, it's a difficult position because I guess you kind of have to be somewhat crazy to work to play that. So like, again, special teams work this week and probably the rest of the season again. As someone who once told one of my football friends, yeah, I'd return. I can confirm that you do have to be crazy to do that. I did not ever return. I was going to get killed, but yeah, I mean, I think you still have to see that you see those mental lapses in the team where it's like, Oh shoot, the ball's coming. Get away, get away, get away. But I mean, I think we, we've seen some issues in the return game throughout the season. It hasn't only been this game. Like, remember when we were watching the Portland State game? Oh my God, the muffed punts. Every it felt like every single time he came out there, you were you weren't sure that he was gonna come down with the ball. And I, I think we've about covered special teams as well as we can. Considering, you know, we haven't played football. Now moving on to something that's a little bit more for um, our more casual fans. What song did you have that represented this game? Well, I guess to go back to that game, I mean, strong first half for Hawaii. I mean, they were sure they were down at the half, but I, it looked like it was going to be a lot closer game. Like you said before we recorded that than the second half show, actually. So um, I'll probably go with like, Maneater by Hall and Oates. I mean, I because I, you know, that Nevada defense really did chew up the Hawaii offense in that, I guess, that late second half or late second quarter to pretty much third quarter and beyond. And I think the turnovers were what really changed the game, in my opinion. You know, I had a tough decision because, you know, going with what you just said there about the half, I really thought about changing it last minute and going with living on a prayer because of. Oh, we're halfway there because they, they were a half away from, you know, keeping it a competitive game. But no, I'm going to have to stick with my uh, original song. And, oh, did you see it? I'm going to go with Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride by Lilo and Stitch. I was talking about it at work. I mean, it was an integral part of my childhood. I don't know about you, but um. I think it's really indicative of how this game went. 
you know, we're still riding that kind of high of going um, and beating Fresno State, going up the roller coaster, and you hit that high low when we're beating uh, Nevada 7-3, and you're like, oh, my God, we can do this. And then the second half comes, and you just plummet straight down. You go into that steep drop, and it just takes the wind out from under you, and it, it sucks. But I, I think we're seeing hopefully another hill coming up with New Mexico State. But, I mean, being a fan of this team is such a Hawaiian roller coaster ride. I mean, I love that song. It was a great movie, in my opinion. I grew up with it. So, yeah, I'm going with Hawaiian roller coaster ride, sung actually by Kamehameha School's choir. I think you actually went with um, Living on a Prayer earlier this year, right? And yeah, you're nodding yes, right? But, yeah, I think that, that's a pretty good choice. I mean, it is that kind of does perfectly sum up what that game was. Thank you. I try my best. <laughs> now, I mean, as we always do, we'll talk a little bit more about some other college football games and, you know, some college football storylines that we thought were interesting. Um, I'm going to have a whole big rant about this later, so I'll let you get started. Yeah, I'm not sure what you want to talk about. For me, it's about, I think, you know, Cincinnati get number two in the AP poll. I think that's the highest a group of five teams been since, um, like, Rich Rodriguez's West Virginia team in 2007. But I think one thing we also want to talk about is, um, you know, the potential, not maybe potential, but also coaching changes that might be made at the end of this season. Like, you know, I think one of the bigger news this weekend was that um, Ed Orgeron, he's he's done after this year at LSU. And, you know, what, two seasons after winning the national championship? I think that job is going to be probably one of the more high-profile coaching jobs open at the end of the season alongside maybe USC and, and stuff. But then also, you know, what's up in Pullman? Like, I think, the you know, Nick Rolovich probably – it could be his final game. I mean, as we record this now, I think it's like they're going to have a press conference earlier or in a couple of hours after we record this. Yeah, yeah, about two hours, I'm being told. And um, yeah, so again, you know, I think that's that's huge that, you know, he was on the hot seat from pretty much the entire, I guess, for most of this year. And, you know, that could be it for him now. Yeah, I mean, that Pullman thing is really interesting because I think Rolovich has been one of the more coach, one of the more um, anti-vaccine coaches in the uh, in the college football sphere. And I mean, Ordrana, I think he was a good coach, but I mean, his legs just got cut from underneath him when Burrow left, Brady left. Uh, I mean, you got Stingley and Keyshawn Boutte, but I mean... That one season with Miles Brennan was ugly, man. Um, what's what's another? I mean, USC Clay Helton. I mean, they got far early in the season. That was really interesting. And the Rolovich thing. I mean, I think I'm like what two weeks removed from that time that I said, yeah, I think he's got about a week. Yeah, I'm I'm maybe four weeks. We'll see. But I said it was gonna be at least mid season. So. I mean, we're still in the middle season. Maybe it gets released or mutual parting of ways. I, I think I hold up. Um, I guess before I get to any other games, you know, this is uh, first and foremost a Hawaii podcast. So we're going to get to some other games around the Mountain West. 
boy, I'm going to go with Boise State and, uh, um, Air Force as my Mountain West game of the week. And thank you. Thank you for not roasting me this time after you all killed me last week. It was a big misunderstanding. You guys suck. But um, Air Force, Boise State. I mean, Air Force beat Boise State, which has been one of the perennially good teams in the Mountain West. I think Air Force, could they be for real? Or is Boise State just bad? You know, I think it, it could probably be a, maybe a combination of both, I think. Like, you know, like Boise State has, it's it's a new coach or pretty semi-new coaching staff for them. I think they kept a couple people from the last staff, from the last regime. And, but yeah, I think, you know, Air Force has always been that like up and down, you know, will they be consistent? Will they won't be there? It's kind of what the, kind of what the service academies are like, except for maybe Army, because they kind of, you know, put themselves to where they're going to be like nine and two or whatever every year. And, um. Yeah, so you pick that as your your Mountain West game of the week. I just want to run through the stats for you. I, did you did you look at the um, Air Force stats yet? I want you to take a guess at how many pass attempts he had. Oh man, uh, I gotta look at the score first. Let me no, see what. No, no. I'm not looking at the stats. I'm just looking at the scores. 24-17 win. Okay. You know, I, I'm assuming it was kind of a lot since you're asking me this question. It's either either going to be super high or none. Come on, give me your guess. You want an exact number? <laughs> I, I guess you can ballpark it, but yeah, sure. I, I'd like an exact number. I'll go with like four or five. Damn it, you're correct. He had five. He had five attempts. He had, he had one completion. He had a single pass completion for 59 yards. He had more rushing yards than he did passing yards. So they had Air, Air Force had a combined total of 59 passing yards. Boise outpassed them by 200 yards, shockingly. Oh, I, I don't know what else you'd expect in a, a run-heavy triple option team. But, yeah, I am surprised that it was just one completion out of five attempts. I think even for, even for an academy team, that's pretty low. But, but like you said, I think you said 59-yard touchdown, so – you know, that, I guess that's a plus. Wait, it wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't a touchdown? It was not a touchdown. It was not a touchdown. Okay, I've just been told it wasn't a touchdown. But, yeah, 59 yards is not always a, you know, one pass is not, that's not bad. I mean, to be fair, I, I didn't get to watch this game, but for all we know, it could have been, like, a five-yard drag route and then, like, a 59-yard catch and run. But, yeah, 59 yards passing and... 307 rushing yards, which, I mean, it kind of takes Navy's blueprint from them. You know, after Malcolm Perry left, they kind of stank. But, um, I mean, on the Broncos' side, uh, Khalil Shakir actually wasn't their leading receiver, which is shocking to me. Uh, he only had 75 yards and no touchdowns. Um, I mean, that's really all I had because I want to get that whole bit in about how he only had one completion. So let's go to your Mountain West game of the week. Well, I think my Mountain West game of the week was an under the radar one. I think first off, let me say that I think San Diego State, San Jose State would have been a really good choice, you know, to go to, you know, I think San Diego State was 24th in the country. They were 5-0 or something, 5-0 or 6-0, whatever. But, um, you know, that game went to double overtime. None of the teams scored touchdowns until overtime. I think that would have been a really good game, but 
for me, I think my under the, I, I got to go under the radar. I'm going to go with Utah State and UNLV. You know, those are two teams that Hawaii still has on its remaining schedule. And that game went down to the final minute. And it kind of looked like UNLV had all that, because that was the game before the Hawaii-Nevada one. So I was watching that. And then, you know, it looked like UNLV kind of had all the momentum when they blocked, I think, the third when they blocked the Utah State field goal about three or four minutes left. That that was like his third miss, the kicker's third miss of the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, like Elian Noah takes the handoff from Utah State and then goes goes in for the go-ahead touchdown with about 35 seconds remaining. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with that game. You know, I'd like to expand on that more. You know, when we were doing our preseason uh, preview, we kind of dogged on Utah State because they were a new coaching staff after being a terrible team once Jordan Love left. I think they've been the surprise of the Mountain West. I mean, they're four and two. They beat a Washington State team, which, I mean, admittedly has been relatively bad. You know, I, I think it's great that you brought up Utah State as your Mountain West uh, game of the week. I mean, Utah State, we kind of dogged on them in the season preview. But, I mean, they've been one of the surprises of um, the Mountain West. In their first game, they beat an admittedly bad Washington State game. And then they went on to beat Notre Dame. I mean, not Notre Dame, North Dakota. Indy looks really weird. They beat Air Force. They lost to um, Boise State and BYU. But those are two, I think, really, or at least decent teams. So I, I think this 4-2 and two Utah State team might be a uh, team to be reckoned with later down in the season. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think um... – like, I don't think there was really a question about whether the coaching staff was going to be like uh, like an improvement, I guess, because like what Blake Anderson had that he has that reputation of bringing back you know a program or not bringing back a program, but keeping a program, you know, in contention for bowls and stuff. And then I think, like you said, I mean, four and two, that's that's pretty good. I think that's probably on a decent pace to make a bowl game unless some like something disastrous happens. But um. Yeah, like like you said, I think Utah State is something. It's another you know surprise team in the Mountain West this year. I gotta get to this game because my friend was like, "You had to talk about this because oh, OK State's great." I, I think OK State made it somewhere that they're number eight, right, in the AP poll. I mean, this comes after uh, beating a Texas team, which I got doggone again for not putting in my top twenty-five. But yeah, I mean. They're what two, three weeks removed from dumping 70 on Texas Tech, and then they lose to the OK State uh, Cowboys 32 to 24. And I mean, it was an amazing comeback win. I was listening to it in my car on my way to work. I, I thought they were, I thought they were done for when they went down 28 to 7. I mean, Bijan Robinson was looking to put them into the dirt. And I, I think honestly, you give a lot of credit to the quarterbacks for the Oklahoma State win. Casey Thompson was terrible. He threw two picks and a pick uh, with a pick six. And then Oklahoma State was trailing all the way up until the fourth quarter. And Spencer Sanders, you got to give him props. He led them back. He had both a passing and a rushing touchdown in that fourth quarter to lead them back to that uh, victory. Yeah, like you said, I, they were, I, I did do the checking. They were number eight in the poll now. And like, like you said, that team is, you know, it's interesting. They've always had these like Mike Gundy has always had these like kind of great years but then the question is you know down the line are they going to win against OU and I think is it battle of Bedlam Bedlam or whatever something like that yeah but 
you know, like I said, it's whoever, if they remain perfect, I think they're, they're probably going to make the, the college football playoff. So, you know, props to them. While we're on the state of Oklahoma, we have to talk about OU, man. I, I'd like to start not with the quarterback controversy, but with our colleagues over at the Daily OU, at the OU Daily. You saw that story that came out, right? We missed it because we were off for a week. But, I mean, you got to give props to that guy standing in a window with his notebook and his camera. It's like, okay, who's taking the first team reps? What a legend. But anyway, more on that. I mean, you saw um, the Red River Showdown when uh, OU was playing Texas. Uh, Spencer Rattler got benched, and true freshman Caleb Williams led them back to an amazing comeback victory to win the Red River Showdown. And um, I, this is, I'm going to go into my rant now. Is, are you good? Spencer Rattler, I don't know if you watch Netflix's QB1. Plus, I also listened to uh, the PFF podcast, Tailgate. Yeah, Spencer Rattler sounds like a douche. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but um, yeah, he just sounds like a bad guy. Like, after their win, I get it. It sucks you got benched and they win. But you should still go celebrate with your teammate. Plus, on QB1, he was kind of rude to the backup quarterback. So, I mean, I, I just... I can't get behind Spencer Rattler anymore this season. I think you're seeing some great things from Caleb Williams. I'm kind of sorry for burying Spencer Rattler, but I, I, I'm i sorry. I had to go on this whole rant about it. That's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. I'll be honest. I mean, he's, he sent me, Bodie sent me a text earlier, earlier this week. He's like, I'm going to talk about Rattler. I was like, okay. But, you know, I thought it was going to be something more like, you know, he was, I think he was what projected to be like a first round pick and, that that might change now. I mean, he had that NIL deal of about with two Dodges and an eight hundred thousand dollar car, and then everybody was like, "I bet you those Dodges are Avengers or something instead." And yeah, I think I think it's an, an interesting. I don't, I don't want to say downfall, but you know, I think it's it's a definitely interesting situation for him. So um, I guess best of luck to him. And I mean, I will say it's not like they had a significant drop off. It's not like. You know, Spencer. I mean, it's not like Caleb Williams was only like marginally better than Spencer Rattler. I mean, he dropped a fifty bomb on the TCU Horned Frogs. Now, granted, Big Twelve defenses are terrible, but still, Williams went eighteen for twenty-three. That's a seventy-eight percent completion percentage, two hundred ninety-five yards, four touchdowns, not to mention nine rushing attempts, sixty-six yards, and in that sixty-six yard, forty-one yard rushing touchdown. I think Caleb Williams has a bright future with OU as long as he continues to keep his head on him, you know, unlike Spencer Rattler. But now I want to ask you this one question. I didn't text you about anything because I want it to be spur of the moment. Do you think Spencer Rattler comes out this year? Do you think he transfers? What do you think's next? Well, seeing as how he just like went on a pretty big, uh, I don't want to say rant, but, you know, I guess, you, you kind of dogged on him a little bit. Um, now I don't know. I don't. I think his his draft stock is probably not that great. So I think maybe he maybe he transfers out. Who knows? But like um, like you said, I think that that's a really unfortunate thing for him because I think Lincoln Riley is probably one of the better I want to say quarterback coaches in probably the country. So yeah, he's probably one of the best 
I think he has that reputation of being, or Lincoln Riley has that reputation of developing, you know, really great quarterbacks. Like you got to solve what Baker and Kyler and, you know, I think somewhat Jalen Hurts, even though he kind of went through Alabama first. But yeah, I think, I think, I think he's going to, I think Rattler transfers out in my opinion. With that being said, where do you think he transfers out to? That's a good question. I, I'm assuming it's probably a power five school. Obviously something, someone that needs a quarterback. Um, oh, I, I don't really know. I don't really follow the rest of the country right now. I would maybe say, um, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, I don't, follow I guess I don't really follow the quarterback situation across the country I would probably say he goes to a power five school you know somebody who has a good reputation of developing quarterbacks like or maybe even a you know a high group of five like who knows if like I don't I don't know like I think what like Tanner Mordecai he transferred from OU to SMU and he's doing like pretty good I think he's one of the top passers in terms of passing yards in the country so I think it'd be interesting to see where he ends up or what he ends up doing, whether it's transferring or turning pro. You know, I like that high group of five team. I think it's really interesting because uh, Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter is a redshirt senior. He's gone after this year. I'd really like to see Spencer Rattler just take his talents. I think it'd be humbling for him at least a little bit to go to a group of five school because, okay, I'm going to go on another rant here, but the thing – that I see with Spencer Rattler is that he's always been that kind of guy. You know, in, in high school, he was the star quarterback coming out of high school. He was supposed to be the next Patrick Mahomes. He was basically like, yeah, he was known as baby Patrick Mahomes. And I, I think it's been really bad for his um, mental headspace because I think he's just grown like to an insane amount of confidence that it's just a little bit toxic. I think he needs to go somewhere where he, maybe not the guy where he needs to compete for a job and, you know, he needs to gain that mental fortitude. And then maybe then he'll be considered a first round prospect again. Cause I think right now that might be the biggest thing that's stopping him from seeing the field you know, aside from his play. I mean, did you have any other, uh, college football games you wanted to talk about this week? Not so much as I look at my, you know, my sheet, I think everybody wants to, I think everybody's, you know, noticed Purdue over number two, Iowa and all of that. But, um, man, other than that, I didn't really get a chance to watch a lot of college football games. I was, I was out covering, you know, the rainbow Wahine this weekend who are, by the way, they're, they're perfect in conference play right now. So take a look at them when you have a chance. All right. I mean, with that being said, we'll move into a preview, New Mexico state part two electric boogaloo this time at home yeah like you said new mexico state again i mean this is one of those weird times in college football where a team plays an opponent in their regular season slate a second time i think this was because hawaii kind of had trouble filling out their 13 game schedule and you know new mexico state independent they got to schedule all of their games too right so um yeah but um Outside of football, though, I want to. I think one of the things we're all looking forward to is, you know, the return of fans, or at least friends and families of the football players. I think that that's something again we, we haven't seen at an official home game for football since, I think November 2019. So it'll be great to see them. I think another question for me is, you know, who's going to be starting at quarterback? I think the initial reports were, Chevin Cordero would be out about 10 to 20 days with the AC joint sprain in his shoulder, and that was about 14 or 15 days ago. So, you know, I think 
I think the depth chart's going to be released actually once, I like app like well before this comes this episode comes out. But I'm expecting it to be the same as last week where it says you know, like Cordero or Shager. Yeah, I mean, so I actually got to ask. So I was at um, soccer for their first game with fans on Thursday, and I got to ask uh, their coach Michelle Nagamine the same thing. I'm looking forward to asking Coach Cram this weekend. I mean, you haven't had fans since I was in high school. How does it feel to have them again? I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting stat. I mean, I'm only a sophomore, so it's not that long, but it's still crazy to not have fans in nearly two years. But, I mean, moving into the New Mexico State game, I mean, we previewed them, you know, a lot last time. But since then, they've faced, like, actual D1 competition. And, of course, they're 0-2 since we last saw them. Um, but I think you saw the exact opposite of Air Force. You saw a pass-heavy offense who, in their last two games, I, I want you to listen to the stat line because I think it's wild, 725 passing yards, six passing touchdowns, a single interception, and a 64% completion percentage. This comes against San Jose State and Nevada. The running game has uh, well, pretty much disappeared. 113 yards through two games. And they only had, they had under 30 against Nevada. They only had 27 yards. Yeah, I think that's, it's interesting because I think you've talked about, I'm looking at the, the stat sheet for Nevada, the Mexico State Nevada game. Uh, it, was a, it was a 55-28 loss, but um, they ended up, <laughs> according to this though, it was actually 52-7 to at the end of the third. So like I said, I guess that's probably explains why they had to be so, past reliant but yeah i think from looking back at you know what i had to say from our first post new mexico state episode um i kind of talked about how the hawaii offense had to stay on the field to give their defense a chance to rest and you know i think they kind of did that well last week against nevada but the turnovers kind of showed up again and um like i said again you have an official unofficial 12th man with about a thousand fans and probably an additional what 200 with the marching band so i guess just take advantage of that uh i mean going back to the new mexico state offense i mean the top receiver to two games has been isaiah garcia castanera uh 11 receptions 166 yards two touchdowns i mean look for him to take over um offensively for the aggies the defense i'm not gonna lie no one stood out to me too much. So I kind of just went for their uh, leaders in uh, season stats. So Chris Ojo, 38 tackles, four sacks. Trevor Brohard, 40 tackles. So they have a nice pair of linebackers in that um, second level. And then in the defense, I think whoever is playing quarterback is going to have to stay away from uh, defensive back Cyrus Dumas. 16 total tackles, two picks, four pass breakups. I think he's probably their most dangerous corner. So you're going to want to probably throw away from him. So I, I guess I've touched on it a little bit, but um, what do you think the Warriors are going to need to win this game against or to sweep the Aggies in their second game? Um, I think I touched on it earlier, obviously. Just, I think limiting turnovers, like you can't have, or you can't expect to have four four turnovers on offense if you want to win a game. And um, it's very rare that that I think that happens. And um, 
I guess just can you is I guess the question for me is can they take anything away from their first game, which was about a month ago, I think, right? And can they use that to combat anything that New Mexico State learned from that same game, if that makes sense? Like like again, this is another chance to get your feet, get back up on your feet against the an FBS team towards I guess the bottom of the FBS. I feel like I always have to uh, pre- uh, preface this segment with I am not a football coach. So these takes are genuinely my own and they're probably not that great. So please don't kill me for them. But I, I think obviously they need to forget about this game. This game was terrible. They threw four picks. But I think they need to lean on a little bit more of a balanced running attack. I mean, you saw Day Day Hunter who got hurt. I think they need to do more of a rotation between Day-Day, Diedrich Parsons, and Calvin Turner. I I think for me, the best thing would be bring in Diedrich on, I think make Diedrich your feature back and then bring in Day-Day when you're trying to hit that home run ability. And then I think, you know, we talked about this on the Fresno State game because it was getting old, but they do need to bring in Kelvin Turner for the Wildcat and the outside zone occasionally for that change of pace. That way the quarter, that way the pressure is kind of taken off whoever the quarterback is. Cause I think even if it is Cordero in there, you know, you, you still need to take at least a little bit of pressure off. He can't do it on him on his own because we saw him do it against, I think was it Oregon state and he got killed um, defensively. I, I think, you need to return to what you did against Fresno State again because they're such a pass-heavy team. I think you can probably rush three, maybe drop some stunts in there, and then drop six into coverage. I think you have to challenge them. You have to challenge Jonah Johnson, the Aggie quarterback, to make the tough throw. I think going back to what you said, like if we're going to go in-depth, you know, I think um, I think for the Hawaii defense, for me, I kind of felt like, during that last game against New Mexico State, they had they, they kind of got exposed on the motion. Like there were plays, I think in the red zone, probably on the goal line, I think, where the receiver motioned out. And I think I think one of those, I think twice, and then one of those times he scored, but then the second one he was wide open and he probably would have scored if he didn't, if the ball wasn't overthrown. So again, I think, you know, like Bodie said, can they revert back to being that defense they were you know, a couple weeks ago against Fresno State. You know, I think, let me add in one final thing on this, what the Warriors need to uh, do to win this game. I'm actually going to quote a tweet that Dave Reardon from the Star Advertiser showed me. The defense needs to stop the offense from scoring. That was the hottest take I've ever seen in my life. Care to comment on that? Uh, I mean, I was like, this is why, this is peak Twitter right here. This is... I mean, that, that was some peak analysis. I mean, this guy could have, he could have joined us, let's be honest. Um, I'm not talking about, well, first off, let's say, I wanted to clarify that Dave didn't tweet that out. He, he you know, he just showed us that tweet in his, I guess his feed. But um, like you said, it, <laughs> I don't really know where to go from there. That, that was like, I'll just say that was some peak analysis right there. I mean, moving on to that very in-depth thought. Let's go into our final in-depth thoughts. Uh, going into this uh, 
I guess, kind of bounce back game for the Warriors. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep brief. I mean, there, there were a lot of questions after last Saturday, but I think there's a lot to look forward to this weekend. You know, fans are going to be back. They're going to be honoring Colt Brennan. You know, I mean, like you said, this is a great chance for them to bounce back. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for my final thoughts, I just said Shager definitely looked like a freshman quarterback. And uh, honestly, it's probably not a bad thing. I, I think he needs to learn to come back from adversity because like he said in the um, post-game press conference um, during the Fresno State game, he's won a lot. <laughs> I don't think he knows what it's like to lose. And, you know, now he gets that experience. But, you know, you don't want to see anyone down for too long. You want to see them come back with that potent rushing attack. And hopefully they can get right this week against an Aggies with a sweep. I think with that, this episode has come to a close. And we'll see you next week where we'll be recapping this uh, get right game for Hawaii versus New Mexico State and previewing the Utah State game, which honestly, I think is potentially a trap game. But we'll get into that next week. From Bodhi Asamoto and my editor, Reese Nagoka, see you in a week. <laughs>